Today is Friday, August 26, 2022. Do you suffer from gear acquisition syndrome? I know I do. Buckle your seatbelts and welcome to this edition of the Electric Guitar Lives podcast with Pete Williams. A fun and pithy celebration of the electric guitar, guitarists, related gear, and industry news from a seasoned guitar pro. Get your daily dose of all things guitar from an industry insider with over 20 years in the proverbial trenches. Be regaled with sordid tales of guitar and guitar news, amps, effects, artists, luthiers, and the interesting people that make up this wacky machine. So wind down with us as we cap each week off with a fresh out-of-the-oven episode. Who knows what will happen? Maybe you'll laugh. Maybe you'll cry. You might even learn something. Yeah, maybe you won't. But one thing's for sure. You'll be entertained. So hang with us for a bit. And thank you for joining us on the Electric Guitar Lives Podcast. Now here's your host, Pete Pete Williams. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much. And welcome back to the electric guitar lives podcast i'm your host pete williams today we're going to be talking about a few things uh, i'm going to start off with the news uh, about the uh, the gibson case uh, the whole dispute with the uh, the vnz guitars going to talk about the fender layoffs that's been in the news lately um a uh, new uh, product or reintroduction of a product from kramer the kramer striker um, those are pretty cool i'm going to be talking about that um, a really unique company from Japan called Caparison. Uh, they just reintroduced their Orbit V. Going to be talking about that as well. Uh, one thing that I happened to pick up uh, last week that I kind of dug my teeth into uh, was the um, Moore Prime P1, which is a kind of like a pocket amp simulator. Really cool stuff. And for our artist feature, uh, rather than focus on one particular artist for this show, we're going to talk about the uh, uh, some of the artists that participated in the Star Song by Hearing Aid. If you haven't checked this out before, uh, trust me, it is a guitar fiesta. Okay, uh, definitely worth checking out. But we'll, we'll, you know, we'll talk about it and get into and uh, in some of the details about it uh, if you're new to that thing. Before we get into the news, a quick word from our sponsor, Making Music. Making Music has been the original home of tone since 1973, and for nearly 50 years, they've been committed to meeting the needs of their customers. Making Music offers a hand-picked selection of premium boutique and custom gear. The Northfield, Illinois showroom is open and comfortable with private, soundproof demonstration rooms a pleasant shopping environment while their website is regularly updated with an incredible array of custom electric guitars, tube amplifiers, and effects pedals. Knowledgeable and courteous sales professionals are always available to help make sure the gear you want is the best choice to suit your needs. Whether you're looking to pick up a new hobby, push sonic boundaries, or simply tweak your tone, making music is the place. For more information, please visit makingmusic.com Pretty cool, huh? 
Hey, uh, if this is your first time tuning in, I want to thank you for tuning in to the Electric Guitar Lives podcast. I'm your host, Pete Williams. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started with the news. First thing I'm going to talk about is the uh, Gibson's landmark court victory, which, according to Music Radar in their article, changes the course of guitar building history. If you check that article out online, uh, you'll see a couple of images, uh, a couple of the guitars that were patented uh, back in 1957, which was the Futura and Explorer model uh, with the split headstock. Um, kind of an uneven split headstock look. You know, personally, I find it to be ugly. And the, pl- and the Flying V patent, uh, which everyone knows what that is, right? Now, of course, uh, if you haven't been paying attention, back in 2019, Gibson Brands Incorporated filed a multi-million dollar lawsuit against Dean Guitar's parent company, Armadillo Distribution Enterprises, claiming trademark infringement, counterfeiting, and dilution. In that court case, it was decided that Dean violated a number of Gibson trademarks, specifically the Flying V Explorer and SG, Electric Guitar Body Shapes, along with the Hummingbird Acoustic Guitar Name. The court ruled that Gibson's trademarks are not generic and therefore should not be canceled, according to Music Radar. And last week, the court issued an injunction preventing Armadillo Dean Guitars from manufacturing, advertising, or selling instruments infringing on Gibson's trademarks. Um, According to the article, they're saying here that this clearly sets a precedent and is one of the most significant legal decisions in guitar building history. Now look, for my show, I don't want to focus on anything negative. And although this is good and bad for both companies, um, you know, I just wanted to provide you, the listener, my assessment on this. First off, you know, in the evening time, uh, usually when I'm winding down, I like to check out YouTube and listen to other podcasts. What's interesting is there's a lot of wild speculation uh, about this particular situation uh, on both parties. Uh, you've got the uh, the media machine working in full swing, obviously, in uh, Gibson's favor. And then the people, of course, are being vocal on various social media platforms, YouTube, etc. What's interesting to me, it seems everyone's kind of missed the obvious while this whole thing's been going down. I, like you, am a guitar consumer. I'm also involved in advertising and marketing um, for many companies in the industry over the years. Several years ago, back when Gibson was having troubles with their previous CEO and ownership, things weren't going completely right for them. Fast forward a little bit, and a new team comes in. Unlike the previous team, the new team came in with, I believe, a fresher set of eyes on the current situation in the guitar market, as well as an incredible background in data analysis. So these guys very carefully took a look at all of this data, this aggregate data from sales and from various sources, and were able to, on a macro level, engineer 
a plan to come back into the marketplace full bore. Pretty smart. Gibson has orchestrated a very broad stroke plan, including the marketing and retakeover of the industry in some in what some might view as being hostile. They're like the police for their own brand. The problem is that no one's done really any policing for many, many years. The Gibson V and the Explorer model with the Futura headstock, um, you know, this stuff was patented 64 years ago. And they're just now um, going to court about it? My question to you as a listener is, are you paying attention? If you've seen ads over several years of um, Gibson Brands products, incrementally over the past several years, they've been creeping into the marketplace. The first by testing the waters with the Epiphone Prophecy series, which obviously they're trying to get into, uh, you know, kind of a, a, I want to, I'll say darker market, heavy metal. You know, they want to make their guitars more appealing to heavy metal guys or hard rock guys. So let's lose the sunburst finishes and repurpose these items um, in what I feel is a very tongue-in-cheek way. Uh, prophecy series. Are you paying attention? Now, that's just one example. Another way of looking at it is it was easier for them to test those waters. I mean, far more inexpensive to do it with the Epiphone line uh, versus doing it with the Gibson line because they don't want to offend all of the, the purists out there. So probably in the last five years, you know, I, like you out there, you know, I like to, I like to ogle at guitars. I like going to guitar shops, checking out their wares, etc. Locally, the only thing we have available to us um, is a guitar center and a couple of actually pretty cool mom and pop shops. For the most part, though, I'm, I'm, I usually like to go up and try stuff out at guitar center. In the past five years, incrementally, I've noticed that Gibson Brands, their products, are starting to flood their walls. Before, you know, in the cheaper space of things, you know, for students or beginning guitar players, didn't really have a whole lot of options, okay? You had your uh, Epiphone versions of Gibson products, you know, and we all know about that stuff. And then you've got the uh, the Fender stuff, the Squire series and, and um, those offerings. Now to older players like myself, after a while, you kind of develop banner blindness to this, okay? Because I'm not in the marketplace for a cheap guitar, for an inexpensive instrument or a starter guitar. You know, me, I like looking at the um, ESP stuff, uh, the Jackson stuff. There's been a few other brands too. And of course, the USA wall, you know, you got all the swanky Les Pauls up there. Your, your music man. I've even uh, recently seen some comparison guitars, which we'll talk about later. All awesome stuff. Now, of course, that particular segment is for a very specific type of buyer. You know, not everyone out there has the quiche 
to drop on a $5,000 or a $15,000 custom shop guitar. The most blatant or obvious thing that I have noticed, though, is the reintroduction of the Kramer guitar brand into the marketplace. And not only is Kramer being put back in the marketplace, um, they're really doing a killer job of it. In the last episode, I talked about the Kramer Pacer, which I picked up. I recently picked up a Kramer Night Swan, which I'm really stoked to try out. It's uh, on its way to me right now. And if you walk into your local guitar center or guitar shop, Sam Ash, what have you, you're going to see a bunch of Kramer Focus guitars decked out, nice colors, good hardware, a lot of different tonal options at an incredibly killer price. Now, keep in mind, I mean, we're not talking top-of-the-line stuff here. You know, they're not putting German Floyd Roses on these guitars. But for the money, okay, you can't beat it. Kramer, by the way, is a Gibson Brands company. Strategically, because of the clout that Kramer had back in the day, and I was certainly a fanboy back in the day, this is the perfect arm for them a part of their strategy to dominate the marketplace. If you don't like the Gibson Les Paul or the ES-335 and the like, maybe you like more hot-rodded guitars. Maybe you like playing faster. You're in a neoclassical or you're in a shredding or ripping or whatever the case may be. This is a brand that's more appealing under the Kramer umbrella. What's pretty wild is that they're able to give you really incredible value for your money. $150 will get you a Kramer Beretta Special. $150 will get you a Kramer Focus. For $349 to $400, you can go up a level and get a Kramer Striker that has a maple fingerboard and an all mahogany body. I don't know about you, but you know that's exceptional value for that amount of money. So again, I ask you, are you paying attention? Now, going back to the court case, from my perspective, the court case is establishing a few things. Obviously, I won't go into detail what what they're really doing here. They're trying to set a precedent, okay? But in tandem, they're doing these other things on a on a really grand level, like um, and using the Kramer brand as as an option or as an example. Um, you know, it's a completely strategic move. The Gibson court case with Dean Guitars. This is a sideshow, an important one for Gibson, obviously. So while this is going down, and it's not just Dean Guitars, there's several other, you know, entities out there I'm sure they've got their eyes set on. There's going to be more developments. Again, they have a broad plan. Now, the next couple of news bits 
are all related to the the uh, Gibson court case and Kramer, etc. Okay. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about was, um, you know, that Fender, according to Guitar.com, reportedly laid off hundreds of California employees. Okay. What's funny is I've been watching some uh, some videos about this, and just a lot of cats out there getting into uh, wild speculation as to the reason why. And the big thing that they keep bringing up, uh, at least these are what you know they are saying, uh, the general group think about it, is quality control. Oh man, yeah, they're, they're laying off people because they, uh, they got quality control issues. Listen, when you're dealing with thousands of products and uh, you have a giant you know, billion-dollar company, um, you're going to have quality control issues. All of these guitar companies that aren't making USA stuff, um, or better, uh, let's say a better way to phrase that would be, all of the companies that, that have a segment of the market with import instruments are going to deal with quality control issues. There's only so many companies over in Asia and around the world that are building these things. First, they send the product managers there. Then they go through the planning and the, uh, you know, the engineering of how they're going to put these models uh, you know, into production. Uh, then they make agreements with whatever factories to get this stuff um, uh, built. From being inside uh, several of these companies, I can tell you it's a logistical nightmare dealing with this. So by the time that these guitars get put on a giant crate and then packed into a um, shipping container and get to the, uh, you know, get stateside, these things have been exposed to heat, they've been exposed to elements even though they're packaged up. And, you know, they're, they're on a boat and they're going to whatever port they're going to be dropped off out and ultimately delivered to the manufacturer. Stuff happens, okay? And so I'll just reiterate, all of these companies suffer from quality control issues, which leads me to my assessment of the situation, which is that it's not quality control issues. I'm going to tell you what the real issue is, in my opinion. The PRS Silver Sky and Gibson's strategic reintroduction into the marketplace with other types of guitar models, namely Kramer. A case scenario, kid walks into a guitar shop with his mom or whatever. He's got a budget to purchase something. He walks in there, sees these guitars that were invented in the 50s, nothing appealing there, Right. He sees colorful Kramer sitting on the wall at a more affordable price point and that has all the stuff on it. It's got a Floyd Rose. It's got a humbucker, a couple single coils in there, great starter guitar. It's got, you know, great paint jobs, all that kind of thing. It's a lot more exciting. I, I, as a kid, I would be exciting seeing that if that was my first instrument. Likewise, for the PRS Silver Sky, look at the pricing. You know, PRS, even on their import stuff, their SE stuff, they have an excellent quality control department. 
Then they attach John Mayer's name to it. And, you know, John's an amazing songwriter, and he's a killer guitar player. He's a perfect spokesperson. So you can get one for, you know, a little less than $800, $849 retail. And, you know, I'm sure you can pick one up for less than that new. It's cheaper than Fender American. It's just a little bit more than something that you'd get from, you know, some of the other brands, Squire. And with the uh, the PRS quality control, chances are by the time it gets to the dealer and then gets to your place, it's probably going to be pretty plug and play. That's been my experience with PRS. And judging by the quality of the new Kramer Pacer that I got a couple weeks ago, uh, I'm going to say that Kramer's probably going to be along the same lines. I'm not reading a lot of bad stuff about it. A lot of happy people out there. Just last night, because I follow so much stuff on Reverb, just last night I was watching uh, one of the uh, Kramer Beretta specials, which is $140, you know, I think that one's $200. Maybe I goofed up there. Regardless, it's, you know, a really amazing guitar for the money. There's an unsaid thing there. They know guys that don't want to spend the money uh, for a model that has the better quality hardware on there is probably going to pick this thing up and they're going to hot rod it. They're going to change out the bridge. They might change out the pickups, the tone pot, the nut. Uh, the tuners, etc. If you take all that stuff off the guitar, it's still an excellent guitar. So, you know, like I said, people can speculate. Perhaps I'm speculating, but that's just my assessment on the scenario, you know. And those are just two examples with PRS and Kramer. There's a lot of other stuff out there. You know, Epiphone, obviously, but you, know, you can't just give people two choices. You got to give them a lot of different choices. Add in online which there's a bazillion choices now for online stuff. Um, you know, and it's no surprise that they're laying off people. I feel bad for these folks. I can empathize with them for sure, as I've been in that situation before. Uh, or at least I've been around companies that have been in that situation where they've had to lay people off. Not cool. But what are you going to do? Okay, in other news, uh, and going back to the uh, the Kramer brand, and, you know, guys, I'm talking about this because, hey, look, I'm a Kramer fanboy. I've always been a Kramer fanboy. I won't lie to you when I tell you I am super pleased that they're putting this stuff out in the marketplace. Um, you know, I'm sure I'm going to continue to be a crackhead about Kramer models going forward. So Guitar Player Magazine uh, has an article uh, announcing the new Striker collection as Speed Demons with looks that kill. <laughs> I'm going to say for, for these models, for the, uh, the, the new Kramer Striker, this is a, a modder's dream come true. Mahogany bodies, maple necks, Forming part of Kramer's modern collection, according to guitar player here, the new 349 Striker guitars appear in a choice of three different configs. The Striker HSS Floyd Rose Special, the Striker Figured HSS, which is the Floyd with, also with the Floyd Rose Special, and the Striker Figured HSS Stoptail. I think the figured means that they've got um, uh, flame tops on them, um, something like that. Uh, I've taken a look at them. They're also... Pretty swanky. I mean, for $349, man, awesome. 
some more in reference to the article. Uh, so boasting of Floyd Rose locking vibrato, the Striker HSS features, features a trio of Alnico 5 pickups comprising a Zebra single-coil bridge bucker along with two single-coils. Both models come in a choice of two finishes, Wild Ivy and in Transparent Red for the Floyd Rose-equipped Striker figured HSS guitar, and Transparent Ebony and Transparent Purple for the Stop Bar variant. Um, they've also made a pretty swanky-looking graphic, uh, which I'll post up on the homepage of electricguitarlives.com. Uh, they also have the models available in the lefty. I'm going to say, you know, look, man, if you're looking for an entry-level uh, shredding guitar, I would say a little bit more than entry-level. This thing fits the bill. And if you like to tinker like I like to tinker, uh, you can go buck wild on the thing and, you know, gradually upgrade it or whatever you want to do. Um, again, at the end of the day, they're, they're providing a lot of quality for the money. And it's definitely worth taking a look at and definitely worth your time. You know, maybe head down to the shop and check one out. Uh, let me know what you think. If you've tried the uh, Kramer Striker series or picked up any of the recent models, you know, let me, tell me what you, tell me if you're just as jazzed about it as I am. Uh, you can uh, email me at electricguitarlives at gmail.com. <laughs> Another news, and on the high-end tip, is the Comparison Orbit V. Comparison's been around since, uh, let's see, 1995. Uh, for those that know about the brand, you might be most familiar with Michael Romeo being one of their artists. Michael Romeo of Symphony X. Which, you know, if you're a metal fan and just like really great heavy metal compositions, that's a band to check out for sure. Anyhow, this is company, uh, Comparison, you know, uh, they're based out of Japan. Um, they make really high-end instruments. Um, you know, the Japanese, uh, they're sticklers about their quality. It's part of their culture. It's ingrained in their culture, you know, perfection and these types of things, or at least trying to obtain that. Um, and for this particular company and for this product, uh, it definitely shows. A little description about it from the Comparison Guitars website. Reintroducing the Orbit with shallow tremolo to the Comparison lineup as an evolved and unique take on the classic high-impact stage guitar. Now in two new stunning pearlescent finishes alongside classic gloss black and white. A stunning amalgamation of balance and unhindered 27-fret access. The Orbit is the extreme shape you've been looking for. All the attitude and impact, but with the superlative handling and screaming tones you would expect from a distinctive and original comparison. Cool description, huh? Now, me personally, I'm not in the market for a real boutique high-end uh, heavy metal guitar, especially one that's crafted as nicely as the stuff that they're putting out. Uh, however, if you are, uh, if you've never heard of them or you haven't checked them out before or you've maybe seen a couple things from them, the mags or online, um, definitely give this thing a look, man. It's it's just different enough and you can definitely tell that the quality is there if you watch some videos on YouTube. Um, really amazing stuff and, and it definitely made me notice uh, enough to talk about it on the podcast, I guess, huh? 
Anyways, for more on the Comparison Orbit, be sure to check out ComparisonGuitars.com. And now, another word from our sponsor, Making Music. Attention serious collectors and Eric Clapton enthusiasts. Making Music is happy to present this curated selection of gear, which was previously owned and used by none other than Slowhand himself, Eric Clapton. Various items are featured as part of this Eric Clapton collection, including a custom ES-335 electric guitar presented to Eric by Gibson for his 2001 tour, two Stage Use 412 Marshall speaker cabs stenciled Derek and the Dominoes, one Jaguar limited edition Marshall Bluesbreaker combo amp presented to Eric by Jim Marshall himself, and a Stage Use Music Man HD-150 reverb head and 212 cab with Duck Brothers Roadcase. If you're an avid Clapton collector, or simply an enthusiast of rare vintage collectible guitars and amps, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to obtain your own personal Eric Clapton rig. Just imagine this killer selection of gear all set up in your man cave or jam room. Think of all the stages and players this iconic gear has seen. When I close my eyes, I can imagine myself there, relishing the sounds and smells of rock and roll. For more about the Eric Clapton guitar and amp collection, please visit makingmusic.com forward slash Clapton. That was makingmusic.com forward slash Clapton. So in today's uh, spotlight segment for gear, I was going to talk about the Moore Prime P1. Basically, for $150, you get an amp modeler in your pocket. Um, paired with your phone via Bluetooth, opens up the door doors excuse me, uh, to a whole other world of tweaking. Now, I just uh, recently started messing around with this thing in the evening time to get, you know, to get my chops back up and for practice and all that jazz. And once, when I initially got it and I plugged it in, I put my headphones on and I tried this thing out, um, I thought, okay, it sounds a little too digital, obviously, right? Where it really kind of opened up, for me at least, is when I paired the app with it. Once I paired the app with it and um, was able to tweak the settings more to my liking, uh, along with selecting, you know, the type of amp head or the the cab that you're going to put in there, you know, in the virtual environment, uh, along with the effects, boy, man, suddenly it becomes a much cooler thing. Now, if you're a gearhead like myself, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, or you're a pedal guy, some people are pedal guys, and then you've got your purists who, who don't believe in them. There is literally a renaissance going on, an electronic renaissance of, of instruments such as the HX Stomp, uh, a couple of others that come to mind are Hot One or Hotone. I actually like to call it Hotone, although I think that sounds better than Hot One. That sounds too much like, hey, your your little brother just cut a Hot One in the back room. Anyhow, it, 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 it's such a good time right now uh, for to be a musician and to, to be a, you know, specifically to be a guitar player. I, I think 
inadvertently COVID helped out with that because a lot of people were stuck at home and looking for stuff to do. Some of them reintroduced themselves to the guitar or the piano or other musical instruments, drums, etc. Um, but you know, you, you, you gotta love these companies for putting this stuff out there and for giving us the consumer a wide variety of things to pick from, you know, is anyone better than the others? Certainly. But, you know, to be truthful, most folks out there, when they buy some of these heavy duty, um, multi-effects boxes, probably are only going to use a fraction of what's in there. Okay. And some of that stuff, and I'm speaking from experience, can be overwhelming because, you know, who wants to bust open the manual and sit down with that for, you know, a couple of hours and try to figure everything out? It's nice when a company puts something out, and it's intuitive enough and easy enough to work with uh, that with just a couple taps or clicks or whatever, button presses, uh, you can get up and rocking really quick and, and, and then you're having fun. You know, that's why we're all here. We're here to have a good time. We're here to have fun with this. Essentially what the Moor Prime P1 is, is it's an amp modeler in your pocket. Okay. In my case, what I did is I, um, uh, I have an old, uh, vintage Japanese guitar that's made 40 something years ago in area pro two, uh, RS strat which still, to this date, I love this thing. It's a great practice guitar, and it's beat to hell. I could drop it on the ground. It would, I could pick it up, still play it. So I don't care what I do to it. Anyhow, so I attached some Velcro to it. Attached the other side of the Velcro uh, to, my, uh, to my Prime P1 and plugged it right into my guitar. And all I have to do, uh, either through Bluetooth uh, headphones or, or plug it in direct, um, you know, I can sit there and uh, hang out in the evening time with my family. They don't know any better, but I'm quietly uh, rocking out to whatever I want to play or whatever I'm in the mood to play. And uh, man, I got to tell you, once you dial that thing in there, it's it's quite good. It's it's excellent. I've seen some online commentary from folks about this being the future of guitar. Now, I'm not so sure about that because I know it's been attempted before. I believe back in the 70s, electric guitars had modules that you could stick into your guitar um, and have various effects that you could uh, apply. Um, and you just plug straight into your amp and you get these effects. I can only imagine the feedback and the nightmare that caused at the time. Uh, and I do know there's collectors out there that, you know, like to collect that stuff. But, uh, you know, so that has me thinking like, well, it's probably more of a toy, but it's more than that. After having gone through five or six different multi-effects boxes myself over the past couple of years, I am pleasantly surprised by this particular piece of tech. It's really cool. And I believe it's definitely worth your time. It's worth checking out. If you're not practicing enough at home, this makes it easy for you. You could, you could play it anywhere. You could take it with you. It has a pretty good charge on it. You could take it down in the park. Um, you, could, you could play it in, if you live in an apartment. You could play it and you know, not offend your neighbors. You can order it on Amazon, get it delivered uh, very quickly. And, you know, they've got a good return policy if you don't dig it. So check it out. To learn more about the Prime P1, be sure to visit moorradio.com.
Hey, that was the uh, beginning excerpt of Stars by Heronade. Heronade was a uh, charity record um, which consisted of a large ensemble of 40 heavy metal musicians and it was released back in 1986. The project was organized by uh, Ronnie James Dio, the late Ronnie James Dio, who I got to meet one time. Very fortunate to have met him. Jimmy Bain and Vivian Campbell, awesome guitarist uh, from the band Dio. Uh, the proceeds from the album were used to raise money for famine relief in Africa at the time. Something that I wasn't aware of is there apparently was an entire album that was put out. Um, all I remember is the Stars track, probably because I was bedazzled by the uh, amazing lineup of rockers, singers, and lead guitarists from uh, so many great bands at the time. Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Queensryche. Apparently it was quite the success and uh, raised over a million dollars within a year. Uh, pretty cool. Apparently all in, uh, they were able to raise three million dollars for, for famine relief. Interesting bit of uh, trivia too, uh, in a documentary titled 100 most metal moments it was put on by vh1 and was narrated by uh, twisted sisters d snyder here which at the conclusion here in was ranked as the number one most metal moment good enough for me i remember when i saw the uh, video for this thing and it was probably on mtv at the time um during its release and being completely floored at the uh, the work that was done there, not only from a vocal level, uh, but also you know, but from a uh, the virtuoso level by some of the guitarists that participated in it. In that video, I was introduced to uh, the guitar playing of Neil Schoen from Journey, which at that time, you know, because I had my head so buried into uh, you know fast playing and this kind of thing, like every kid from that era. I think it gave Neil a chance to uh, show that uh, passion in his playing that he's always had. But, you know, he, he plays with a, a ferocity, you know what I mean? Um, when you go back and listen to some of his lead work that he's done, I mean, obviously, incredible songwriting guy and, and a killer melodic guy. Uh, but outside of that, in this context, you know, this kind of hard rock and heavy metal tune, he got a chance to kind of burn through a few things. And man, I mean, that made me stand up and take notice. Needless to say, I've been a, a Journey and a Neo Schoen fan ever since. Uh, anytime he's got some guitar playing to be done, uh, I'm paying attention. A couple of other notable dudes from that recording, um, as far as lead work, a few actually, um, that come to mind is uh, one of which is Craig Goldie, who years later I winded up seeing him in a band with uh, the late Elliot Rubinson. He played bass guitar in this band called Black Knights Rising, and Craig was the uh, lead guitar player. I got to see them at the Brass Mug in Tampa a few years ago, and uh, man, what a treat. Amazing guitar player. So as you're watching the video, be sure to uh, try to spot him in it. A couple cats that are completely in their own league as well uh, in that particular video in the song, um, one of which is uh, George Lynch from Dokken fame. 
George, to me, uh, out of all the guitar players at the time, I always felt like, um, man, this guy is just a complete smoke show. I mean, he just tears it up. I mean, I've always liked George's stuff in terms of how he's able to uh, kind of go outside the lines a little bit with his uh, with his legato work and his and the way that he approaches blues and, and picking a very unique guy. I might also want to point out that you may want to check out George's stuff on the Tony McAlpine record, Maximum Security. At first, when I bought that record, I remember thinking like, wow, George Lynch is playing on here, huh? I wonder if he, he's able to kind of keep up with um, a few of the guys that were on, or a couple of the guys that were on that record, you know, Tony included. And... Honestly, his leads are my favorites. But when you go to watch his video, which I'll include the link on my website um, for the YouTube, you can always Google it too or look it up on YouTube. Uh, be sure to watch out for George's uh, periods or his lead playing in the song. I, I feel that it's just just amazing for for those short moments. And uh, finally, in in terms of that song, um, as far as the my favorite lead playing. Uh, no doubt you have to check out Ingve's playing on there. I always liked Ingve's early playing on the uh, the you know the Steeler and Alcatraz records way back in the day. If you haven't listened to that stuff, I recommend you check it out. Ingve um, uh, used to have more of a rawness, and because the tunes weren't written, uh, you know, to all be these kind of uh, uh, marches or. Uh, galloping kind of double bass things that he did later on with Rising Force and all that. I felt like uh, it got him to uh, be in a context, you know, just to be a gunslinger. And uh, he certainly delivers. One thing that's also pretty cool is uh, Nigel Tufnell, along with David St. Hubbins of Spinal Tap, had some commentary moments uh, on the video that were quite funny. I also found it fitting that they were in the video. And uh, it's, you know, definitely provided me a lot of entertainment. And over the years, I've always thought fondly of what Ronnie James Dio was able to put together for charity. On a closing note, I just want to add that, uh, you know, that, that song had such an impact that overseas, uh, you've got groups of people that have banded together on YouTube in their respective countries and re-recorded the song and gotten some rock singers, heavy metal singers to participate, uh, along with uh, notable guitar players from each country, um, which, man, I mean, after all these years, that blows me away. Uh, definitely enjoyable and definitely worth spending a few minutes of your time checking out. Well, hey, that concludes episode number two of the Electric Guitar Lives podcast. I'm your host, Pete Williams. I want to say thank you for spending some time with me today. I hope that you'll um, tune in next week. We're not quite at the guest level yet, but I am working on it. I'm also working on a, a comedic blog thing that I'm going to be doing called uh, Jazz Fusion. Don't worry, jazz players. I'm not knocking you. I'm actually a huge fan of jazz and, and Jazz Fusion for that matter. I think all will appreciate it when this gets out and I'm hoping you will too and you'll 
You'll um, you get a laugh out of it and share it. Next week for the Gear Spotlight, we're going to focus on the Kramer Night Swan, which I've got inbound to me currently. And in relation to that, for the Artist Spotlight, I'm going to be talking about uh, Vivian Campbell. I figured, hey, Kramer Night Swan, Vivian Campbell, that seems like the right thing to do. I hope you have a great night and a great weekend if you're listening to this on a Friday. And I hope to see you next week. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Electric Guitar Lives podcast with P. Williams. Your weekly hang for all things guitar-related and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another exciting episode. And remember, have fun. See you next time. For more about this podcast and future episodes, be sure to visit electricguitarlives.com. Thanks again for listening. 